Ohio State beats Penn State 44-31. to James Franklin is now 1-8 against Ohio State. Not good. Coming up on this edition of Locked On Nittany Lions, 10 takeaways from the game against Ohio State. You are Locked On Nittany Lions, your daily podcast on the Penn State Nittany Lions. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for making Locked On Nittany Lions your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. I am your host, Zach Seiko, now on audio and video. So wherever you get your podcasts, including now YouTube, and check out any previous videos that you may have missed and other episodes. If you want to go back and see how I did uh, previewing the Penn State-Ohio State game. So in this episode of Locked On Nittany Lions, 10 takeaways. That's right. We're going to have 10 takeaways on this episode of Locked on Nittany Lions. And they're going to be diverse going over the offense, the defense, everything about this game. Penn State coming up short, 44 to 31. Uh, Happy Halloween, everyone. Uh, It was a scary weekend for Penn State fans, I must say. I mean, 21 to 16, if they had just stopped playing the game. With eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter, you know, Penn State definitely wins that one. Uh, But they came up short, and Ohio State uh, is a good team. So in each segment, I'm going to lay out three takeaways in three of the segments we have today. But I do have a bonus takeaway that actually doesn't have so much to do with the, the game, but some news that came from the weekend in college football. Takeaway number one. This season is by no means a lost cause. Uh, No Big Ten championship. I understand that stings. No college football playoff. You need to get to the Big Ten championship if you want to make the college football playoff. That's understood. But Penn State is going to miss out on both of them. They can still make a New Year's Six Bowl. They can still go 10-2. and I mean, that's initially where I had this team. I thought this team would finish 10-2 and two overall, and these were the two games that they would lose. I did change my prediction. I thought that they would beat Michigan after doing what I thought was good research, but not the case. And Penn State lost that game against Michigan, which everyone expected them to, most people. Penn State lost this game to Ohio State, which most people expected them to. But at the end of the day, realistically, they can still finish 10-2, and two, right? They can win out in the conference. They play the likes of Indiana. They play the likes of... Maryland, Rutgers, Michigan State, all four winnable games, Maryland being the obvious toughest one, but they were right there in the thick of it. Ohio State went quickly, and they show that they were a good team. So I think they can go 10-2. and two. I think they will go 10-2, and two, even though nobody else has really given them that much of a shot. I mean, you had them at 7-5, and 8-4. and four. I understand to begin the year. But they can easily play in a New Year's Six Bowl and something to be very proud of at the end of the year. This is not a lost cause. Takeaway number two, Ohio State is definitely a college football playoff team and Penn State did play them tough, right? I don't want to go with the, the, you know, this was a moral victory type of speech. But it was 21 to 16 after 
three quarters of play. You're in the middle of the fourth quarter. They had to scratch, claw, and make it that that score. But I think that Penn State was right there. Had Ohio State not driven down the field in three plays and 75 yards, like that was the that was the killer, right? It wasn't the fact that Ohio State answered. It was how quickly they answered, okay? You just, you you run that that drive. You have the two, there were two missed field goals, right, from Jake Pinninger. Penn State uh, had the, the third and one miss. They had the miss on the fourth and one. And then they missed the two field goals, but then there's a penalty, and then there's another penalty, and then they get the fourth and one, and then there's a fumble on the goal line, and then on Katron Allen finally is able to get it on a goal-to-go situation from the one. And just think about that. Penn State has to do all of that just to get six points. And Travion Henderson runs for a 41-yard touchdown uh, in, like I said, Ohio State scored in three plays there to answer immediately. The real dagger in the coffin was the two turnovers that came up in the fourth quarter, which I will get to in just a second by the guy who made those turnovers. But Penn State played this team tough. They showed that they are a top-20 team. And Ohio State reminded everyone they they wanted to shorten the game, right? They wanted to get in and get out and realize that this wasn't going to be easy. I'm not saying they left their foot off the gas pedal, but they certainly had a more conservative game plan than they would have liked. And that's something that Manny Diaz forced them into, right? Manny Diaz called a good game defensively and forced Ohio State into that situation. So... Penn State did just about everything as right as they could, but in order to beat an Ohio State game, you would have had to have played a perfect game, and you didn't. You didn't play a perfect game, but you did play them tough, and that's a moral victory that most people probably don't want to hear. I understand that. Sean Clifford bears a lot of responsibility. That is takeaway number three in this first segment. Uh, Three interceptions, one fumble. I understand he had over 370 yards passing. I think he was 31 of 42. But three touchdowns to three interceptions, What what is the biggest difference in this game? Sean Clifford had four turnovers. C.J. Stroud had the one. Didn't really matter. It was that fumble. They should have kicked the field goal at the end of the first half. That's when that came. But Penn State, you, you would have won that game had you taken away two of those turnovers. Hypothetically, anyway, if you take Penn State – with the four turnovers, allowed Ohio State to get 21 points off of those four turnovers. You take away two of those, hypothetically, Penn State wins 31 to 30. And you can think about storming the field or whatever. Defensive end JT Tui Maloau had two interceptions, and that's unacceptable. Why is the defensive lineman getting multiple picks against the quarterback? There were a lot of tip passes at the def- at the line of scrimmage against Sean Clifford. But as a six-year senior quarterback and some of the mistakes that were made, I'm not going to blame him from getting hit in the backside uh, by an unsuspecting pass rusher. That's not his fault on the fumble. But I think about the interception where he tried to get it to Katron Allen and he was communicating to Allen, hey, you needed to run this. And you just throw it away at that point. Why even chance it? Uh, Other passes were batted up at the line of scrimmage. So... Not everything was his fault, but as a six-year quarterback, I think that there bears a lot of responsibility for Sean Clifford turning the ball over four times. You're not going to win a game, and James Franklin said that. You're not going to win a game against Ohio State where you turn the ball over four times. 
And this probably burns him. I, I understand how people have mixed feelings about Sean Clifford, but at the end of the day, he's an Ohio kid. He's from Cincinnati. He wants to beat Ohio state because that's the school from the area that he's from and he couldn't get it done. So, Owen oh, four in his career against Ohio State, it's probably going to burn him uh, since he wasn't able to get a win during his Penn State career. Coming up next on Locked On Nittany Lions, I am going to share more takeaways from this game. We got 10 total, 10 from the weekend because one of them is a bonus. Three more in the next segment, three more in the following, plus a bonus one. It is Locked On Nittany Lions. BetOnline.net is your number one source for football and the start of the new basketball season. Find all of the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every game. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all of your sports wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite games and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf, head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more, bet online where the game starts. Welcome back to Locked on Nittany Lions. I am your host, Zach Seiko. Thanks so much for joining me this Halloween edition. Scary game for Penn State. They lost to Ohio State 44-31. to Now number 16 in the AP Top 25 and coaches polls, which I think is fair. It's respectable. The only two games that Penn State has handled every other opponent, but they've lost to two perennial college football playoff contenders in Michigan and Ohio State, and that's... You would like them to be on that elite level. They're just not quite yet. And we will address that throughout this week. All right. We got through three of the takeaways. We have six more. Takeaway number four, right tackle Bryce Efner had an awful day. JT Tui Malowal terrorized him off the edge. I mean, that was the player of the game was Tui Malowal. He had two interceptions. I think he batted one of the passes at the line of scrimmage as well and just essentially terrorize Bryce Efner. That's where a lot of the pressure came from. You need Caden Wallace back ASAP. And we know that he's injured. We don't have to speculate that, even though James Franklin hasn't been addressed, uh, hasn't been asked that directly. But at the end of the day, there was a reason that Caden Wallace was starting and Bryce Efner was getting rotated in, which also still concerns me a little bit. I'm not sure why Caden Wallace and Bryce Efner were, constantly rotating but Efner had a rough day and it was because of one Ohio State player and that it that you need that protection you would think that protecting the blind side was fairly important but when you get that pressure from the front side and Sean Clifford's got a roll to his non-throwing shoulder it's not easy and that's what you want you want to be able to get that pressure from the blind side but honestly both edges are just as important and it's because you force the quarterback to a side that he's not as comfortable with. And that was the case. Uh, I thought the interior protection went well. I thought Olu Fashionu handled his guy. He he really proved that he was a top 10 pick. I remember Mel Kuyper Jr. Before the day of the game, I'm listening to his radio show. And he says, oh, you look at Olu Fashionu. If you want to see a top 10, possibly a top five NFL draft pick, Olu showed why. <laughs> he's getting that kind of praise. Bryce Hefner. Not exactly the case, uh, but well, Ohio State's got some good players, and Efner didn't rise to the occasion. How about a positive, right? We've we've focused on plenty of negatives between Sean Clifford's turnovers and Bryce Efner struggling to pre- protect the edge, but Parker Washington is a damn good receiver. Yeah, 
Second receiver in Penn State history to have multiple 100-yard-plus receiving games against Ohio State. I think you can guess the other one. It's Jahan Dotson. Parker Washington was unstoppable. If it wasn't for that Marvin Harrison Jr. guy, however he is uh, talented and a future NFL wide receiver, Parker Washington would have led the game in receiving. Marvin Harrison Jr. had 185 yards. Parker Washington had 179 including that touchdown where he did all of that. I I thought Sean Clifford's pass was a little out in front and was going to lead Washington into a dangerous hit, but he took on two defensive backs, spun out of it, and then put on the afterburners and ran the rest of the way for the end zone. And on the day, he hauled in 11 passes. But Parker Washington needs to be the feature wide receiver. Mitchell Tinsley... The tight ends that Penn State has, I'm not sure why it is so spread out. I don't think Parker Washington should get the Jahan Dotson treatment where you're getting essentially 10 to 15 targets every game. But it's been a while since we felt like Parker Washington was that takeover type of receiver. And it's something that I've been asking for other Penn State uh, people in the media saying, when is Parker Washington, when is any wide receiver going to have this type of game? And it was Washington and he stepped up. And I'm just not certain why he's not the feature wide receiver and why the targets are all spread out. You need to find a way to get him more action because of what he can do. He catches just about every pass that you throw him. Route running is is good. It's solid. But he catches every single pass. His hands are made of glue, I think. They're, they're made of glue. He needs to be the featured wide receiver. Uh, and I'm not sure why he's... It's taken this long for him to have this type of game, even though it was in a losing effort. uh, It shows that Parker Washington is everything that we thought he was advertised for. Takeaway number six, Catron Allen is ahead of Nicholas Singleton in the running game. Uh, Whether it's because Catron Allen is better suited for the zone blocking scheme that Penn State has, uh, or it's because that Allen does in fact have better vision. Uh, Singleton is struggling to break tackles that, you would think that he's able to make, but when he gets tripped up, he goes down immediately. We haven't seen him be able to just, uh, he needs to find other ways to get by defenders other than literally getting by defenders where he just tries to run by them at this level. And I imagine that he has aspirations to get to the pros in the NFL. You are not going to be able to just try to put it into fifth gear because everybody you're facing has a fifth gear. And he knows this, right? I'm not saying that anything that is brand new information to him. But Singleton's trick is one cut and then try to use the speed to burn past everybody. And that worked against Ohio. That worked against Auburn. Uh, That's worked in select spots. But that's not always going to be the case. And I like Singleton's speed, but he's he's finding that it is harder to get into the open space than it was in the past. And... Now that teams know that that is his trick, that is his specialty, they're going to key in on that. So Mike Yersich and company have to find a way to get him out into space. They need to be able to say, okay, if that's going to be on a screen where we move him, and we saw that a little bit against Ohio State, uh, but they didn't use it as much as you would like. You need to find a way to get Singleton in open space rather than just force him in between the tackles because that's not his game. That is Katron Allen's game, and... I think it has a lot to do with the fact of Catron Allen is just 
more suited for this. He went to IMG Academy. He played against more comparable talent. And Singleton is a better athlete. He's faster than him. He's more agile than him. But Katron Allen, I think, understands the offense a little better and has better vision because of what he had to deal with at IMG Academy. Uh, but Singleton, I know Singleton will figure it out. It's just going to take time. But right now, Allen is the better running back than Nicholas Singleton. My opinion, feel free to disagree. Uh, the numbers do show Katron Allen had 12 carries, 76 yards, one rushing touchdown uh, in the game against Ohio State. Nicholas Singleton, 14 carries, 45 yards, no touchdowns. That goal line play where Allen's able to break through and broke multiple tackles, Singleton does not get in on that play. He, he just flat out doesn't. And that's why they went to Katron Allen in that short yardage situation. I, I think that, again, Singleton will improve. It's just going to take time. I think by the end of the season, at least in the next year, he will get that figured out. But just right now, it's just tough sledding when he gets the football in between the tackles. Maybe a more pitch plays, screen plays, swing him out uh, into the flat. Uh, put him in motion, just do things to open it up so that he does have open field because speed does kill. It's just, it, it is difficult when you try to halfback dive up the middle, Singleton, use that blazing speed. It's hard when you're running into a bunch of bodies uh, at the line of scrimmage. My name is Zach Seiko. Thanks so much for joining me on Locked On Nittany Lions. When we return, three more takeaways plus a bonus one that doesn't necessarily have to do with the Ohio State game, but does have to do with college football and Penn State with the news that happened from the weekend on Saturday. Penn State losing 44-31 to to Ohio State. My th final three takeaways from the game are next. Thanks for making Locked On Nittany Lions your first listen today. For your second listen, check out Locked On Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Zach Seiko. Thanks for joining me on the Halloween episode. I, I don't have a costume, but... Uh, I guess I'm, I'm dressed as a Penn State fan. Uh, how about that? If you're watching on YouTube again, now we, we are on YouTube. Locked on Nittany Lions is back on YouTube. Uh, so you have the audio version of this wherever you get your podcast. And now on YouTube, if you would like to watch the, the video version of this podcast. Final three takeaways plus one that uh, actually has to do with the Michigan-Michigan State game. But it's something that James Franklin had referenced earlier and everything that transpired. It's not a fun subject to talk about. It's actually very serious, but uh, it is important for a takeaway. Uh, back to the Penn State-Ohio State game, losing 41-31. to 31. We all know that Penn State is now 16th in the AP Top 25 in coaches poll. The coaching, how do the coaching do in this game? Takeaway number seven has to deal with Mike Yersich. Play calling is still suspect. That T backfield formation, you, you have to run something else out of it. I, I think it got pretty repetitive in the game. Uh, there were questionable play calls on third and one, fourth and one at the goal line in the that that drive just made no sense to me. Where Penn State took the lead for the final time in the in the fourth quarter, twenty one to sixteen. Like they had to scratch, claw, do everything. Referees, multiple field goals on third and one. Why are you running a wheel route with Katron Allen into double coverage? 
why why is that the play? Why are you still not able with with these two running backs, which I have admitted and and is still true? It's fact. They have made this offense so much better, Nicholas Singleton and Katron Allen. But at the end of the day, why aren't you using them in in those kinds of cases? Third and one last year, fourth and one, it was a struggle, and it still seems to be the case. They didn't run any quarterback sneaks with Sean Clifford other than the one, and he got stuffed at the goal line because you couldn't make it any more obvious. So that goes back to play calling. I think some of the turnovers that Sean Clifford gave up, the three interceptions, the one fumble, I think that has to do with a little bit of Mike Yersich's play calling as well. But the third and one, the fourth and one, not utilizing the tight ends as much. Brenton Strange really wasn't all that active. Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren. And that's the one when you do go to Tyler Warren, it's on a fourth and one spread formation when you should be running between the tackles in that case. Instead, you go five wide and you run a slant to Tyler Warren. I, I, I don't know. I think Mike Yersich is a, a decent enough offensive coordinator to this point. He's a quarterback whisperer. That's why Drew Aller's here. That's why Bo Prabula's here. Uh, I think that's why Sean Clifford has played his, aside from the Ohio State game, Sean Clifford's played his best football this season, uh, but this is kind of where his ceiling is. Besides the point, Mike Yersich, his play calling is still questionable uh, at, at this point. I would like to see a little more creativity uh, as creative as they got against Ohio State, it just felt like the plays were predictable and and out of sync at times. Takeaway number eight has to do with his counterpart on defense, and that is Manny Diaz, Mr. Blitz Happy Defense. And, and it worked. He called a good game, uh, but lost in the end. We know that up until those eight minutes there, uh, Manny Diaz, I thought, was playing a good game of chess with Ohio State and its offense, and it's why Ohio State was limited the way they were. Things broke down. They scored quickly in the fourth quarter to regain the lead, but Manny Diaz coached an exceptional game, unlike the Michigan game. We saw the Michigan game where he was. it seemed like he did not know what was going on. It seemed like the defense had no answer for Michigan's offense. Uh I also thought, and that, and this came late in the game. Michigan was effective at running the ball and and just had all the control at the line of scrimmage. And Penn State was running a lot of too high safety. They were uh, paying a good amount of attention to the wide receivers as opposed to, hey, let's sell out for the run like we did against Minnesota. But that wasn't the case against Ohio State. Marvin Harrison Jr. had the day that he did because all they did was slide him into the slot. And that changed everything. And I felt like Manny Diaz should have made that change. If that's saying, hey, Joey Porter Jr., I know you're the boundary cornerback, but you got to move to the slot. And we got to put you here to match up with Marvin Harrison Jr. They didn't make that change, and that's why Marvin Harrison Jr. was able to have the day he had because he had more favorable matchups, whether it was Keaton Ellis over top as a safety because that's where he lined up, or Daquan Hardy in the slot, and those guys were, were not a match for Marvin Harrison's son so uh, that's if that doesn't make you feel old i i don't know what will uh the play calling was good they had no answer for marvin harrison jr i know it feels like another one of those moral victories for for manny diaz because he did good but not good enough ohio state's a, a, a superior team and for the most part they did well but i know at the end of the day things uh the the floodgates opened and that's what had happened 
Takeaway number nine, and this is the last one that has to do with Penn State and Ohio State particularly, and this will be something that we'll have a continued conversation about, I know. The Sean Clifford versus Drew Aller debate, my takeaway here and why I kind of saved it for last, the best is for last, Drew Aller should get more playing time. I don't think that Sean Clifford should be benched because I still believe, and I will stand by this, that Sean Clifford right now is the quarterback that gives Penn State the best chance to win. Drew Aller just right now does not do that, and it has to do solely with the experience. Does Drew Aller have a strong arm? Yes. Uh, he's seems to be a little more accurate than Sean Clifford, but we've only, we don't, we don't see the practices. We don't see the practices. We don't see everything that the coaching staff sees to make those evaluations. So Mike Yersich, Danny O'Brien and James Franklin get together and made this conscious decision to have Drew Aller as the two for a reason, because he is the best guy to go in after if Sean Clifford's not available for whatever reason. Okay. Uh, but Sean Clifford with his knowledge of the game, the way he sees the field, the way he understands the X's and O's, that's something you're going to have after playing six years of college football. Drew Aller's coming in from directly from high school, so he's not going to understand everything. But at this point now, I'm not advocating for Clifford to be benched in favor of Aller, but you got to find a way to get him more into ball games, whether that's a rotation or even if you're not up by that much, why do you need to be up by four or five touchdowns to get Drew in the game? There is no reason that he shouldn't be in midway through the third quarter against Indiana. Rutgers, Michigan State, those are very uh, perfect spots for Drew Aller to play uh, in a rotation. Maryland's going to be a little bit tougher. I, I expect them to be 7-2 and two with Penn State when they go into that matchup in just about under two weeks here. But all three other games that I named, those are favorable matchups for Penn State. They're good learning experiences. That's a Big Ten opponent. I, the college football playoff and the Big Ten championship are lost causes now. And that's what I saw on Twitter. That's what I saw on the internet. People saying, you know, hey, Drew Aller needs to start. There's no point anymore since the main goals were lost. It's not a lost season. I, I said this earlier. They can finish 10-2. and two. They can finish with a New Year's Six Bowl, and they can potentially win that game. But I also don't disagree with the idea of finding a way to get Drew Aller onto the field more often than not. Uh, and you, you do have to think about it because, realistically, Penn State is going to be in an actual college football and a Big Ten championship conversation, at least over the offseason, because they're going to return a lot of players and those superstars that everybody's waiting for, the potential of them, of Drew Aller, Nicholas Singleton, Katron Allen, all those guys back. I still believe that Sean Clifford gives you the best chance to win, but I don't I don't disagree with the idea that Aller can't come in and play meaningful snaps. Final takeaway, and this has to come from the weekend overall. This is a bonus takeaway. So nine from the Penn State Ohio State game, and then one, one from college football in general. James Franklin was right about Michigan's tunnel. And this is a, a serious subject uh, and should not be taken lightly. But in case you didn't hear about this, Michigan State players had assaulted two Michigan players after the game. Michigan won that game handedly in Ann Arbor, 29-7. to seven, and, and it's that Michigan-Michigan State rivalry that got out of hand. And James Franklin made a point saying like, hey, look, you know, uh, we, we got into not necessarily a scuffle. And, and I'm not... 
I, I'm not here to say, well, well, James Franklin told you so, and, and look what happened. But you've now had multiple instances where you have Ohio State and Michigan players getting into it at halftime. You have a post-game interaction and a, and a serious one that has an investigation that has possible legal implications between Michigan State players and the Michigan players that were assaulted, the two of them. I, I mean, you had Spartan players that ganged up around him forget what was said you can't respond with violence that way uh, and, and start pushing shoving punching kicking whatever happened in, in full pads uh, I, I don't know the status of the two Michigan players and why they were in the tunnel with Michigan State at the same time maybe they said something to them and provoked it but who that that is not the point okay and, and what I'm trying to say is uh, two wrongs don't make a right here uh, but James Franklin brought this point up and what I'm coming to here as the takeaway is that Jim Harbaugh was all smug in his press conference. I don't, I don't care if James Franklin's whining and I don't, you know, I don't care what he has to say in general. He needs to worry about his own stuff. We'll worry about winning games. And, and James, Jim Harbaugh in Michigan essentially scoffed at James Franklin for making a valid point. You've now had multiple instances. Uh, maybe this will be the one uh, where you will actually make a change and not be so uptight and smug when somebody makes a valid point. And James Franklin did when he came to criticizing the tunnel and the way the locker rooms are set up at Michigan Stadium. That's going to do it for me on this edition of Locked on Nittany Lions. Again, I am your host, Zach Seiko. You can follow me on Twitter at Zach underscore Seiko, Z-A-C-H-S-E-Y-K-O. Uh, for the YouTube watchers, you can obviously see the graphic on the screen. But for the listeners, uh, check me out on Twitter. Also follow Locked on Nittany Lions on Twitter, Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. Uh, of course, wherever you get your podcasts, you may leave a review as well. Let me know so how I can bring you the best content possible every single day because that's what we do. Daily podcasts for you Penn State fans out there. Over the course of this week, we are going to analyze more of the Penn State-Ohio State game uh, and get into some early preview of Indiana tomorrow because this Penn State-Ohio State game takes a lot out of the Nittany Lions every single year. And since they've come up short, we've talked about, oh, that midseason loss really impacts a Penn State team. Well, this is the game that might impact the Penn State team for the negative. And with Indiana approaching, approaching I will explain how that does impact Penn State moving forward throughout this season. Check out tomorrow's episode. Thanks for joining me today, and happy Halloween. Thanks for making Locked On Nittany Lines your first listen today. For your second listen, check out Locked On Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts.